I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. When my father-in-law, Roland, was still alive, he used to tell us stories about what it was like growing up. He was born in, I believe, 1907, 1909. He would talk about seeing cars and horses on streets because they hadn't transitioned over to automobiles yet. And of course, he witnessed some amazing things in his 90-plus years, all the way up to landing a person on the moon and the Uh, start of the computer age. When I was even uh, about uh, first or second grade, I remember going over to Honeywell across the street from my elementary school, and we would play on a keyboard that was connected to this massively huge series of uh, electronics. And it was this thing called a computer, and it would do basic math for us. And so automation and helping human beings uh, get out from the day-to-day grind of certain tasks has certainly transformed the entire human experience. And on many ways, it's been a tremendous advancement in what it means to be human. And yet, on the other hand, we're now coming to a point in our time, in our history, in this particular generation, where we might have to become much more aware of what it is to be human and to find ways in which to discuss that philosophically not by those who are tech giants, but those who are actually who can make change happen and discuss what it means to protect that human characteristic so it doesn't become overridden by the technology just because it can. Of course, ChatGPT and other uh, bots out there are now thinking for us, at what point do we say enough's enough? But my next guest and I got into this in deep. It was a great conversation and he's a He owns and has his own podcast. He's been interviewing people much like I have over the last several months on leadership and has come up with a series of wonderful stories to tell and insights to share. We also got into that all human of characteristics called intuition and how important that is in making decisions and and leading in uncertain times. His name is Brian Beckham, and he is a computer scientist, philosopher, and trial lawyer based in Houston, Texas. He has also been voted a Texas super lawyer 14 consecutive times every single year he has been eligible. Brian's law firm, DB Attorneys, is one of the best law firms in the United States and has obtained hundreds of millions of dollars for the firm's clients, including many record-breaking results. Brian also hosts, as I mentioned, Lessons from Leaders with Brian Beckham, a popular podcast featuring military leaders, sports stars, New York Times bestseller authors, scientists, and more. Brian Beckham on the business of intuition. So, Brian, it's great to have you on the show. And as I get to uh, reflect on our prior conversation, you really, man, are a renaissance dude. You are, <laughs> you know, you are uh, a great golfer. We we had this little discussion about, you know, mixed martial arts. You're a lawyer. You're a philosopher. You you're interested in AI. 
It was like, everything just seems to be of interest to you. It's great. And now you've got this really popular podcast. And I think I'd like to ask you, like you've, you've interviewed like what, 80 or so, 85 people so far. Yes, what's sir. been, what's been some of the things that have, have, uh, stuck with you later? You know, what are the themes that keep coming up or that'd be one question or what have you really like, wow, that was something different and I didn't expect that. So maybe what's the major themes and, and what have been some of the big surprises? Yeah. So great question. I started this podcast like literally in the middle of quarantine and my wife and I took quarantine very, very seriously. We had three kids, stayed inside. I mean, we were inside for three or four months and you know, you're on the internet, not doing much. And it's just negativity, 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 negativity. And I've been start thinking about starting a podcast for quite some time, but I had two questions, Dean. Question one was, what would it be about? And question two, why would anybody care? Why, why would anybody want to listen to some lawyer in Houston, Texas? So I'm out in my backyard drinking a glass of wine late at night with my wife during quarantine, and she comes up with this idea, why don't you call it Lessons from Leaders? And I was like, perfect. That's the perfect title. And so the podcast kind of almost by default became a podcast about leadership, like general positive leadership. And uh, so I've, I've had a chance to interview some phenomenal guests. I mean, we're talking about combat Marines. We're talking about Air Force and Army and Marine generals. We're talking about New York Times bestselling authors, scientists, uh, psychologists. You know, sports stars, you know, Hall of Fame sports stars, you name it. It's been incredible. But one of the things that's been a real surprise to me is leadership leaves clues. So if you listen carefully to what people say, you find out that there are patterns to what they say. So you asked, the question was, what's something you learn? And number two, what's been the big surprise? Well, those are kind of the same answer. I started noticing that, you know, I could be talking to a psychologist from, a counselor from Florida. I could be talking about a former, talking to a former football Hall of Fame football coach or a military general. And they fundamentally, Dean, at least when it comes to leadership, kind of say the same thing. And you know what the number one thing I heard or, or I hear from these really, really good leaders? The number one thing I hear again and again is leadership is about service. A good leader focuses on serving his people and his mission or her mission and her people. And that's the number one thing that's kind of been on my mind lately, just in general is, you know, I turned 50 a couple months ago and I've, you know, been thinking about that for a few years now. And it's, it's kind of like, what do I do now? What do I do with my life mm -hmm. now? And the first 50 years of my life was kind of about me <laughs> and yeah, what can I do for myself? And I, and I started realizing Dean that there, that was a bottomless pit. There's no ultimate satisfaction in that. There's no ultimate happiness in that. But I'll tell you what, if you focus on doing things for other people, whether it be your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, your community, your clients, your customers, you name it. If you focus on how you can help them, the paradoxical thing is not only are you doing some good in the world, but you feel better yourself. Like, if, Let me just tell all your listeners, if you're down and you're having a bad day, the number one thing I recommend you do is go try to help somebody or give somebody a compliment. It's amazing how good it makes you feel. So that's kind of a long answer to the question, Dean, but that would be probably the, the answer that's top of mind. I think it is. It's right on. It's certainly, a, it, it's certainly a, a kind of leadership that we need a lot right now. I think we always need 
a service-based leader or servant leadership, if you will. You mentioned the pandemic and being locked down where our disconnection was sort of the new normal for a long period of time. And now we're out yeah. and we're, you know, at concerts again, but I think that that theme around service is such a strong one and it, 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 it is what makes a great leader effective. Were there any particular people that really touched you and, and can you tell us their story? Because you've got, I mean, I love talking to other podcasters because they have such great stories to tell. What's a great story from somebody you remember interviewing? So one of my friends, and by the way, when you tell a story about somebody you really liked, there's this feeling you might be excluding other people. I know my other sure. guests won't think this. I've had some great guests, but the first person that kind of comes to mind on that question, Dean, is a friend of mine named Dusty Boyd. Dusty Boyd is a small town, Texas prosecutor. He is the district attorney of Coriel County, Texas. And I interviewed Dusty right after the George Floyd incident, which a lot of people will remember the George Floyd incident. There was a national protest. Mr. Floyd got killed. I actually have a friend that knew Mr. Floyd because George Floyd's from Houston. But I brought my friend on and I said, he was going to, he was going to come on the show and not wear his cowboy hat. I said, I want you to wear your cowboy hat. I got a specific reason for that. So I got this guy on my podcast. He's wearing this cowboy hat. He looks exactly like you would expect a small town Texas DA or Southern DA to look like. And he, a Dusty by him, basically by himself, put together one of the most decent, progressive responses to this police kind of minority community issue that we've, we've heard a lot over the last two years. Like, how, how can we have better relationships between the police and the communities that they serve? And he put together this program called the MAPS program, which is basically, in his community, he gives the minority communities in his community an opportunity to grade the papers of the police. Like, was this a good arrest? Should this person mm -hmm. have been arrested? Should this person go to jail, or can we plead this out? And the striking thing about this to me, Dean, was... You go to New York City or San Francisco or whatever, pro quote, progressive place you want to talk about, and none of them are even close to what Dusty Boyd in Orell County, Texas, is doing. To me, and by the way, it's been, that, the program has been received tremendously in the community, both from law enforcement and from the minority communities. They both like it, and that's leadership, okay? It's easy to do something like that if you're in San Francisco. It's easy to do something like that if you're in New York City. It's easy if you live in Texas to say, I support guns, right? That's not leadership. Leadership is not taking what people already think and saying, I support that too. Leadership is taking what people maybe don't know they should support or aren't even aware of and saying, follow me, follow me. So, you know, and, and I could tell story after story, but Dusty was the one that actually said to me, and I quote, Brian, He's got a strong Texas accent. Brian, he said, Brian, you know, you call your podcast Lessons from Leaders, but to me, I'm more of a serp than a leader. Mm. And I was like, wow, that is the perfect way to put it. So, so that really, really, uh, that really, that, that particular show stands out to me a lot. That's a great story. I love it. And it, as I sort of unpack some of the things you said, I was writing some of the things down. 
The other words aside from service that I hear you talk about is is almost like ideation. It's it's the innovation. It's the ability to think outside the box. And these are all phrases that we are all familiar with. It's it's having another approach to some problem that nobody maybe have thought of before, not getting stuck into the minutia of the day-to-day or or the idea that we have to keep doing it the way we've always done it. We have to go outside and think in a different way. But the other word that I wrote down was courage, the courage to be able to be different. And the difference might be your idea, you know, and, and it might get shot down. You know, oftentimes they do, you know. So I, I, I'm already pulling out three things here from what you've said around the uh, the, the lessons that you've learned from these great uh, guests on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got another guest that I interviewed who, when he was 20 years old, dove into the Guadalupe River, which is in Texas, hit his head and has been paralyzed from the neck down since then. Name's Jared Dutton. Jared Dutton is a world-famous painter. He paints with his mouth. Mm. And to listen to him talk, like the, the, the podcast is, you, you would never you just listen in on the audio or something. You'd never know. I mean, the guy is so positive. He's got a wife and kids and everything. You know, you and I look at him and we're like, God, that guy is literally one of the most courageous people you can imagine. But to him, it's, that's just who he is. He's just yeah. Jared Dutton, you know? So right. real inspiring. That, that's fantastic. As we uh, are doing this conversation, you know, I think of what are we, we're sometime in there near the end of January, 2023. And this won't probably go live until sometime in May, but what are you hearing from the leaders that you have interviewed about the mood in the environment? You know, what's, what does 2023 feel like for people? Does it feel hopeful? Does it feel, you know, button down the hatches? We, we're, we're uncertain about a potential uh, recession, which we seem to be talking about for a long, long time. It's like, wait a minute, have we already had the recession? Because we keep talking about it. What's the, what, what's the mood? I mean, like if you were to walk into the, you know, the, 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 the world that you've been walking into, what's people's um, attitudes about this year? Depends on their information source. It depends almost entirely on the sort their information diet. So if you're on Twitter a lot or Facebook a lot or too much, you're generally your views are going to be colored in a little bit more of a negative way. And if you're reading good books or watching good documentaries or streaming shows or surrounding yourself with positive, optimistic people, you're your attitude is going to, I think, skew towards the positive side. I can tell you personally, I, I have kind of mixed emotions about everything. So I have a degree in computer science from the early 1990s. I have, I literally had one of the first email addresses at my college. I've been following the development of technology for, gosh, oh, almost embarrassed to admit this, more than 30 years. And I've always been very, very positive about the power of technology to change human lives for the better. I that I don't feel that way anymore. Because I, what's that? I say more about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not a luddite. A luddite is somebody who's basically anti-technology. But I'm concerned that the questions that need to be answered about technology are not technology questions. They're philosophical questions and mm. ethical questions and moral questions. And the thing that concerns me is. Elon Musk is not a philosopher. Whatever Elon, whatever you think of Elon Musk, 
he is not the person that should be making ethical and moral and physical uh, philosophical decisions for the entire world, basically. Neither is Martin Zuckerberg, neither is right. Jack Dorsey, neither are any of those people. I'm not trying to single anybody out. These are, these are fundamental philosophical questions, oftentimes, that, that go so deep. It's like, what does it mean to be a human being? You know, as we talk, ChatGPT has just been released by OpenAI. And for people that don't know what ChatGPT is, ChatGPT is an AI chatbot where you can type questions, ask it to do things. And it looks like it's passing the Turing test. The Turing test is the famous test from Alan Turing, the British computer scientist who broke the Nazi code. And he said, once a computer, once you can't tell the difference between a computer and a human, we've reached artificial intelligence. I mean, that's a real, real quick and dirty way to explain it. But I've been messing around with ChatGPT for about a week now. By the time this podcast is released, I predict that there will be some amazing things that ChatGPT can do that we haven't even learned about yet. But let me just give you a couple examples. It's already passed the MBA test, it's passed the medical exam, and it's passed the LSAT. Yeah. So, so I what concerns me, I feel like we're kind of at a inflection point with technology where we, we, we can go in a way that's going to be really bad, or we can go in a way that's going to be so good, it's hard to even describe. But the questions we've got to ask ourselves are things like this. Are we comfortable as a society allowing four or five emotionally stunted nerds to decide what kind of news billions of people get. I mean, what kind of society, Dean, do we live in where we let uh, these people, and, and I'm not criticizing all of them, I'm just saying, no, and they may, be, they may be great people, but they shouldn't be making, they sh Mark Zuckerberg should not decide what news four billion people see every day. That's just, or, that's just a... Or who doesn't get to share that news. Exactly. And so it brings speech. Yeah. And these are not, uh, these, again, these are not technology questions. These are philosophy questions, ethics. So it's questions. a great, your observation is spot on. And I agree with, I wonder about the same thing. I'm reading a book right now. I, I mentioned this on a prior episode called The Last Invention. And it's talking about the singularity, if you will, when, when we, sure. when we don't see the difference between human beings and so forth. And I play around with ChatGPT as well. And, you know, my, my poor father is probably, you know, turning over his grave because I have played around with it. And lo and behold, the damn thing could actually write a blog pretty well. And of course, I had to come back and edit it. But one of the things that writing does is that it helps you think. You have to decide what's your point of view. Writing does that for you. And so when now you have something else, i.e. chat GPT doing it for you, you have now allowed something else to think for you. And that's yeah. the, I have that concern. And you're right, the Zuckerbergs and the Musks are not the ones who should be making these questions or answering these questions. But then the question is, who is? You know, we don't have a philosophy czar around what it is to be human being, you know, and so then it becomes... But what is left is it's an individual choice. You know, it's an individual responsibility to determine what is it that it is meant to be human, you know? And yet you've got convenience and automation and saving time. And now I can spend more time with my kids because I got all these other things that are taken care of. Oh, and by the way, a car is also an automation 
that, you know, yeah. a couple hundred years ago, we would have never had, right? So at yeah, what yeah. point do we say, how do we know? You know, how, uh, so what, what's your thoughts on this? Who owns that, the answer, and how do we move forward? Yeah, so great question. Let me push back just a tiny bit. So if we agree fundamentally that these questions we're talking about are questions that are philosophical and ethical and moral in nature, and somebody other than the people that are profiting from these businesses should be making these decisions. Yes. Then the question is, you, you stated it perfectly. Well, you should make the decisions. Right. Well, that, there's, there's a variety. So basically what the question is, is how do we order society in such a way to maximize everybody's benefit, whatever that might be? And there's different ways to do that. And we're seeing those right now. China has one way of doing it. America, the United States has another way of doing it. Canada has a different way of doing it. The EU has a different way of doing it. And basically, we have to realize that it's a balance, like everything. It's not black and white. So we want to maximize people's individual freedom on the one hand. But on the other hand, if you're on Twitter and you're inciting violence against somebody, we're not going to say, well, that's your free speech, right? That's nonsense. Like right. anybody that says that, first of all, knows nothing about the United States Constitution, knows nothing about the history of free speech, and knows nothing about how the way the law works. So right. the balance is how do we maximize the bounty that we've got with technology and what it's going to offer us to maximize it for the most people possible? And one answer to that is democracy. That's the, that's the answer the United States has had. We all get together and collectively decide. Now, the problem, of course, is democracy has been largely captured by dollars. And so uh, people that have a lot of money have a bigger say than people that don't. It's just that simple. And Well, exactly. And you don't have career, you don't have uh, term limits and you have people who have been in their positions for 30, 40 years. I mean, so yeah, all that being said. So your pushback is, Brian, is that maybe it is a democracy level answer, meaning our elected officials make those decisions. Yeah. I, what I'm saying is there is a big difference between having a conversation, look, you and I having a conversation face to face and you pull, pulling up your phone and looking at uh, some social media feed and maybe not realizing that there are billions and billions of dollars behind that screen that are invested in one purpose to make money off of you. And so basically technology has been weaponized uh, and, and I, I maybe I shouldn't use weaponized, but it, it's been captured in such a way to maximize the profits of a very small number of people and a very small number of co companies, which is, which is okay up to a certain extent. But I've gotten to the point now where I walk around and see people looking at their phone, uh, Dean, and my question is, who's programming who? <laughs> You know, like no doubt. I, yeah, I'm not so sure that we have command. When we look at our phones, I'm not so sure we have as much command as as we think we do. Like as soon as you open up, it's I see some people and I'm like, that person's being programmed by their phone, right? That's so true. <laughs> and yeah, I know and, I'm guilty of it too, right? Oh, it, the, the, you have a neuroscientist who would tell you that the kinds of uh, hormones that get fired up when you get a like on Facebook is similar to other types of positive experiences. I mean, so in a, in a sense, we are becoming addicts to our own devices and, and much like, you know, trying to wean yourself from coffee, 
yeah. or alcohol or any other addictive substance. The, you know, a technology has, has become synonymous with those sort of addictive experiences. And so now, you, you know, you might even say philosophically, I know I should probably not use my phone right now, but yet there's this <laughs> sort of this biochemical thing going on inside you saying, wait a minute, you just woke up. First thing you should do is look at your phone. <laughs> that's actually the last thing i try to do when i wake up but, but i'll tell you what i've noticed lately dean and this is i, I don't know if, if scary is the right word but if you go on youtube now and click on just some random video half of the videos the audio is a robot and it, you can tell if you pay attention oh, really? it'll be like yeah oh yeah wow. it'll be like wow you'll see something that'll be like how how the allies won world war ii and you click and start i'll call, start watching the video and it'll be like in 1941, and it will just have this. Oh, you're right. You can, I you can just too. barely tell that it's off. Yes. But yes. I'll tell you what, once we get to the point where you can't tell whether that's on or off, and it's the same thing with, by the way, chat GPT, like you said. I, I'm, I like to read classic literature. So I'm reading Tolstoy and Don DeLillo and Cormac McCarthy right now. And when I type these chat GPTs, they're great, but they can't touch Tolstoy with a 50 meter pole. But when, right. what, what about when they can't? Right. Because that's coming. And that's, that's an existential thing for humanity. And again, that is not a technological question. That's a philosophical. So again, you're going back to, and I don't disagree. You know, I just sometimes like we all do, we have a varying degree of trust in our elected officials. I, I, I get upset <laughs> with some people that I know that say, you know, I don't uh, believe in how things are going politically and yet they don't vote. It's like, well, wait a minute. You can't be a part of the system. <laughs> I can't not be a part of the system and then really against the very thing you're not a part of, right? So, you know, you got to yeah. be involved. But uh, you do, you know, but history seems to be saying, unfortunately, I don't mean to be alarmist, is that these things still continue to happen without a lot of oversight. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not looking for, you know, you know, a, I don't know, some sort of a czar or somebody to sort of tell us what to do. I think we need a, a, all these individual freedoms as well. But but there, I think a lot of people are concerned about it, you know, and you're not the only one. I think it's uh, the, the, that's one reason why this podcast, I think in some ways has always been interesting for me because, you know, I sometimes, we'll talk about a lot of things. You and I are talking about whatever we want to talk about, right? But sometimes we get into this thought about intuition, which is the name of this podcast. Why did I choose intuition? Because it's one of the most quintessential human characteristics we have. It is something that is a pattern recognizer. It's our subconscious mind. It's our ability to sort of sense something that maybe data and in, in, uh, in analytics cannot find. So I think that's that maybe the last holdout of the human condition is our intuition. And so that's why I wanted to have this podcast. Uh, not to push it down people's throats, but if it comes up, it comes up, right? And here it's coming up again. So I find it fascinating about this whole discussion about what it is to be human. And, and do we have to redefine that now since it's going to be, or do we have to continue to redefine that, you know? Uh, as as each generation comes into play, it's like, what does it mean to be human now versus what it means to be human five hundred years ago? Can I talk about the intuition a little bit? Because I, I when I go for it, and when I, when I got invited to be on the podcast, that was one of the things that really caught my eye. And here's why: two things, real quick, about yep. intuition, or, or or I've used the phrase instinct. Yes. So instinct and intuition to me are kind of interchangeable. It's this feeling like this. You just, it's hard to describe it. You just have this sense. And so two things on that real quick. Gavin okay. Becker, Gavin Becker's an internationally famous security expert. Jeff Bezos, all these heads of state and stuff wrote this book about how to keep yourself safe. And one of the fundamental principles he said, one of the things he said was 
never let somebody move you to a different location. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. You should fight as hard as you could. So I like, I, I have a wife and daughter and two boys and I try to teach them a little self-defense now and then. But mm-hmm. anyway, he said, the other thing he said is trust your instincts. Another way of saying trust your intuition. If you're yes. at a place at night and something feels off, something's off. Like exactly. intuition you've developed over, the intuition, intuition or instincts humans have developed over that literally thousands of years is there for a reason. So you better pay attention to your instincts. That's the first point. The second point is I gave a speech. I've given two speeches to the United States Air Force on leadership at the invitation of an Air Force colonel who's a friend of mine. Five fundamental principles of leadership. It's from my podcast. Number one is leaders are servants. Number two is trust your instincts. Is it really? There for a reason. And I hear that again and again and again and again from these leaders in all different works of life. Trust your intention. What people say a lot of time is trust your gut. Yeah. It's the same thing as your intuition. And, you know, I think if, Dean, if you look back on your life, I'll bet there's times in your life where you made decisions and it didn't feel like the right decision at the time. And I'll bet you it was the wrong decision. And flipping that around, I'll bet there's times where, you know, your gut was telling you to do something and you didn't really know why to do it, but you did it. And I'll bet it was the right decision. I look back on my life and almost every time I distrusted my instincts or intuition, it was a bad decision, like every time. And when I trust my gut, I trust my intuition, my spidey senses, whatever you want to call it, it's normally a good choice. And that is a, I think you said it perfectly, intuition, instinct is a quintessentially human thing. Like, I I don't think, chat GPT and self-driving cars for people that don't know are stupid as, they're super stupid. I've driven a Tesla for 10 years and it's, the, the self-driving is, is basically, the IQ is probably close to zero. What they mm-hmm. do, what they do in order to teach these self-driving cars and train these chat bots and all that, is they just take a massive amount of data, just a massive amount of data, and they put these computers on it, and they use different deep learning algorithms and things like that, natural language algorithms. But it's it, it doesn't take any intuition. There's no fuzzy logic. There's no guesses. And so fundamentally, ChatGPT is, is super stupid. Oh, uh, I get it. It's a great summary tool, and it probably is going to get better as it gets older. I was thinking about um, your comments about uh, times in my life, and I know other people's lives when they made decisions that were based on intuition and how most often, if not always, it's right. Yeah. And I just, you know, we, we spend, in a way, we've become, we are judging ourselves using a tool that is not human. Like sometimes we use technology, we expect the same speed for decisions yeah. as we do our phone or asking Google for the local restaurant, where we expect that now of other human beings at same sort of speed, that in slowly we're becoming to think like computers in that the computer thinks in data. So that's why we now are becoming more focused on data, because ever since the 60s, when computers became, you know, were born and, and became part of business, I think the data side has gotten even more so prevalent in how human beings make decisions. And I, I've talked to clients all the time about this and they are going through this big analysis. We're going to do a merger. We're going to bring on some other big team leader, I mean, an executive. 
you have all this data, you know, we're spending all this time trying to figure out the right algorithm, the right, you know, decision. And I'm like, done, wait a minute, what's your gut say? Yeah. And if this like puts them in it, holds them back, so wait a minute, follow that because the data will then support that. You know, I think we spend so much time in business and in leadership trying to go out and finding data when we already flip it, know the answer and we're just right. afraid to follow it. Right. Hundred percent. And the other thing is, if you have a scientific mindset, it is essentially impossible to predict the future. So, right. We, I think you, people like you and me, and probably people we work with a lot, we have a certain kind of a way of approaching the world that we want to be able to make good decisions, and so we want to feel like we're predicting the future. But the truth is, nobody can predict the future. Black swans happen. Events what nobody can ever predict happens, and so. I've actually started looking at this a little bit different, Dean, and that is, I'm looking at more like, how can I make decisions? How can I structure like my business, for instance? Whereas if bad decisions get made from time to time, that's okay. No big deal. We recover from right. it. We get bounce back and get stronger. It's this, it's this concept of anti-fragility. So I'm more about like, let's experiment. Let's try things. If they don't work, let's try different things rather than trying too hard to kind of predict what the future holds. Now, it's kind of funny I'm saying that because for the past 20, 20 minutes, I've been talking about the future of technology. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> there's something about, there's a, there's a, a symbiotic relationship, like a distant cousin, a twin between your intuition and your own self-confidence, that if you can start to trust that intuition, that gut that you were described yeah. earlier, then when you do make a decision that might have gone bad, you have the confidence to be able to respond and, and adapt because you've already built up that muscle tissue of, I know I can make this work. You know, I, yeah. I can, I'm not, I, I, I don't necessarily have to control everything. And out of these failures that happen once in a while, now all of a sudden everything is falling apart. That hasn't because I've already got, I've built up enough, you know, experience around being able to pivot if I need to. Give you a perfect example of that. I'll give you a perfect example of that. I'll give you a physical embodied example of that. So I've started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm a purple belt now. I've been training for three years. And every time I go train, one of two things, there's a few more things, but basically either my opponent chokes me out or arm bars me and I have to tap and quit. Or the other thing happens, I choke him out or arm bar him and he has to quit. Right. I don't really, frankly, learn nearly as much when I beat somebody as when they beat me. And so I have a reminder on my phone every morning before I go to class, it pops up that says, don't worry about losing in a BJJ match. You just learn something. So mm -hmm. I actually think failure is good and nobody likes to fail, but everybody fails. And so I mean, I can just tell you as a trial lawyer, for instance, I, when I go and try a case and win, I, I have a note that I've been keeping ever since I started being a lawyer about all my trials. And at, when I win, the note is basically four sentences and it says something like, you're awesome, you're the best trial lawyer, you're great, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> when I lose a trial, the note's like five pages, you need to do this better, this better, you could have done mm -hmm. this, this, start working on this. I mean, I learned nothing. <laughs> When I win a case, most of the time it's when oh, I really? when I when I quote lose where I where I really make advances. So 
Yeah, because uh, that's where yeah. sometimes success can be kind of a. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound this way, but I'll it can say be dangerous, scariest thing. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's a little bit too cocky. You're like, ah, oh, no, to something. Let's just keep replicating the same thing. And then, yeah, Jim Collins writes a book, How the Mighty Fall, and all of a sudden, like you know, <laughs> Motorola and Kodak and Blockbuster yeah. are no longer around. And that wasn't for out of accident. That was just because people got a little bit too enamored with their own success. Yeah, they got comfortable. Uh, you know, I've been telling people, uh, you know, f- when I was 45, I looked around and I said, I got enough money, got a nice house, a nice car, a nice wife, nice kids, nice friends, nice golf course, got all this stuff. And I'm not that happy and I'm getting out of shape. And I got, like, I was like, yeah. holy crap, I got to do something to push myself. Like, success truly can be dangerous because you don't put yourself out there. You don't try new things. You don't fail. Like, you know, and for me, it was, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a couple other things, but I'll tell you what, man, you go in there with a 20, when you're 50 years old, go in there with a 25-year-old kid and he chokes you out four or five times, that'll keep you humble. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm not surprised that you're into the mixed martial arts. I think I told you beforehand that I, I've done uh, some Kempo karate and I've just have learned a ton about myself. Yeah. Through those little failures and through those things that just didn't work out so well, you know, and and that's carried me over into other situations because it's all to me, in some ways, the word failure. I mean, I think I have a funny word. I have a funny kind of relationship. I want to like, we got to get okay with it, you know, because we don't even want to talk about it. It's like a swear word. Oh, failure is a bad thing. It's actually not. But but even a higher elevated sort of way of describing it is it has something to do more with learning. Like if we we stop having the emotional baggage with the language that comes with either success or failure. We talk about it from a different perspective. It is what it is. Now, what are we going to do about how we learn from something? You know, more of a yeah. learning language, a learning lexicon. Then I think we're onto something. You know, and uh, so I, don't even like, I, I don't even like the word failure. I mean, I don't like that word. And you know, to use another uh, martial arts analogy, I see, I noticed that when the guys that I train with go and compete in competitions. If they win, they're real happy. And if they lose, they're like, thanks for all the support. I got to train a little harder and I got to learn it, uh, uh, you know, some new things. It, there's, there, it's not like the, oh, the rep cheated me. Oh, right. You know, right. My, I, I got Bum unlucky, ball. blah, blah. <laughs> Bad yeah. call. I got unlucky. And I was, I, you know, I was observing this over a year or so. And I was like, man, there's a lot I could learn from that. Like, Rather than when I lose a case, oh, I was the judge's fault. Oh, the opposing yeah. guy, my client's an idiot, you know, all that sort of thing. Or, or rather than saying I even lost a case, say, okay, that's what happened. And uh, next time I'm going to fix that. I'm going to be a little bit better. Yeah, that's right. Brian, great discussion. How can people follow what you're all about? Tell us about the podcast, where it is, the name of it, all that. Yeah, Lessons from Leaders with Brian Beckham. The uh, you can It's on all the different podcasting apps it's also on youtube and i got a web page it's brianbeckham.org and it's a little bit of an unusual spell last name spelling so it's brian with an i and that's b-e-c-k-c-o-m it's like beck.com b-e-c-k-c-o-m so brianbeckham.org my law firm vbattorneys.com that's v as in victor b as in brian attorneys all one word vbattorneys.com and then i'm on instagram facebook and Twitter for now, though that probably will not. I probably won't be on Twitter that much longer. <laughs> What's the V stand for? In my v- partner, my law partner. I have a partner. His name is yeah. His name is. Uh, I'll tell you why we sorted it. You ready? His name yeah, is yeah. his name is Vuk Vujasinovic. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's That's a Serbian awesome. name. Yeah. It's a Serbian name. So, and the funny thing is everybody spells his last name, right? I missed my last name. So it, it used to be Vilyasenovic and Beckham. And, uh, about 10 years ago, we shortened it to maybe a time. I think you're probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for it. Brian, man, guy, great to talk with you. I really enjoyed this discussion and uh, I know that the listeners will as well when this comes out and I hope they go and visit your podcast. I'm going to do that myself and Keep up the good work. Beautiful, Dean. It's been a it's been a real pleasure. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. And uh, man, just thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.